This podcast is about spoilers and discussion. It's also about spooky stuff. You know, any film that we talk about here, we recommend you see in advance. You've been warned. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Horror. There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. Horror. You got red on you. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Hello everyone and welcome to another brand new episode of Oh! The Horror. It's a horror movie podcast that's about classic and modern horror films from an expert and a newcomer's perspective. I'm the newcomer Steve Allman. And I'm the expert Rob Holmes. And far away from the shores of Virginia Virginia Beach Beach comes Rob Holmes in the studio with me, uh, face to face, finally again. After uh, a very long time. After a very long time of not being of not being in the same studio, we're actually recording in the same room for the first time in a long time. And it's weird. I think about ten months. Yeah. Wow, we that's were, ten months. So yeah. you've been away for a while visiting the uh, the the great windy city. Yeah, city of wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in town yeah. and uh, ready to talk about some uh, some horror movies. Yeah, this one uh, is a little less of a of a horror movie. I guess you can consider it that. Um, it, if you guys are interested, this movie is called Mayhem. It is directed by Joe Lynch. Uh, came out in 2017, and it is currently on Shutter. Uh, as of I think beginning of 2018, it ended up making its premiere on there. Um, and there's also an exclusive commentary version of this with the filmmakers yes. that you could watch on there. So if you don't have Shutter, you can get a free trial of it and check that out. Um, but yeah, let us dig in to the film that is Mayhem. Right. So Mayhem comes out in 2017, directed by Joe Lynch. Joe Lynch, you got a bit of uh, Joe Dude. Lynch has had oh, a bit man. of a history uh, in J- in indie filmmaking, especially uh, one yeah. with his kind of breakout film with that kind of made more infamous than famous. Um, well, actually, there's there's a few because even before that, so he's he's a longtime collaborator with Adam Green. There's the show Holliston that they both star on yeah. and, and have directed and write. Um, he actually really kind of took off. His first major thing was Wrong Turn to Dead End in 2007. It was one of those films that came out, and you're like, "There's no way a direct-to-video sequel for Wrong Turn is going to be good." Surprisingly. So entertaining. I think the best out of the entire series when we look at it. And there's like five or six wrong term movies at this point. Uh, yeah, there are quite a bit yeah. now that I'm seeing. I was like, oh, wow, there's a there's lot of people that are so involved many. with this. Um, but that one really kind of it, it showcased him as being like, all right, this guy's legit. Like, he's going to be a really solid director. He did a short for Chillerama in 2011. Here's the issue that he ran into as a director, Knights of Bad Astom. Now, right. he did this through IndieVest um, and... The original version of it, before IndieVest picked it up, because he had filmed this and then there was distribution issues and stuff, uh, it was actually highly lauded. Like, they they had gone to a bunch of different film festivals and people had seen it and they're like, this movie is amazing. It's so well done. It's not too cheesy or campy or anything. It kind of, like, encapsulates everything he wanted to do. Well, the head of IndieVest decided, cool, all right, well, I'm going to go against and void this contract that I had with Joe Lynch. And I'm going to re-edit the movie myself and put it out. And it ended up being 
a garbage fire of a movie. Some people really enjoy it, but basically they took out all the violence and all the gore and made it a really juvenile comedy. Yeah, overall message of the movie being lost. Right, and he even said the only the only reason that there's any blood in the film, it's because they couldn't edit around it. Right. And it's like, well, why'd you guys put this money into the film to begin with? It bombed at the box office. And he's disowned it kind of as his film, which is disappointing because with everybody who was in that film, it sounded like it was a, a surefire hit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like you had Peter Dinklage, Olivia Wilde. Like it was it was a fairly well. Summer Glau. Yeah, yeah, or Summer Glau, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, Summer Glau. I wasn't uh, reading the post. Oh, no, right? no, no, yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, then you have, you know, Danny Pudi, all these other people, Jimmy Simpson. It was such a great concept. It didn't work um, because of that. But. Hopefully we'll get to see his version one day because I really want to see that. Uh, then he did Everly in 2014 with Salma Hayek, which he filmed in Serbia. And then kind of took us back to this with Mayhem because with Mayhem, it's also filmed in Serbia. And what's interesting about this film is a $2.5 million budget. Um, and when it came down to trying to film this movie, they were trying to figure out where to do it. And like production for, I think Pittsburgh was 15 days, what they could get if they were to shoot there. Sure. And he's like, that's not enough. And they're like, New Orleans, maybe you can get 17 days. He's like, that's not enough. And Vancouver, 18 days. And he's like, all right, we're going to go back to Serbia. Because when he did Everly, he was able to get a lot of stuff for a very low budget. Right. Um, and you'll notice in this film, it's a very international cast. There's yes, a lot of there's very a lot of people from cast. like Australia, New Zealand, London, Norway, and then a lot of people from Serbia is kind of like extras and stuff in this film. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I, I had noticed that I'm like this is a very this is actually a fairly diverse uh, office building for Absolutely, a, yeah. for an international company. Yeah. Um, and and I, I the look of the movie for uh, what it's worth from the inside of the uh, office building it's this interesting hue of blue that I couldn't quite shake. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't quite tell if that was just like a uh, color correction choice or a stylized choice mm -hmm. because I, like I kept constantly seeing like is the in, is the exterior light coming from outside a certain type of way? Yeah, that, it, that part gets, it's a little strange. The, the lighting in this is not my favorite and I think production design is not my favorite for this type of film. I, I like a more eclectic, you know, production design and I like a much more eclectic lighting design in this right. and it, I think that's but like, where... You mentioned before, like cheap budget, like no better place really to shoot than an office building because that's kind of all like like you could have told me you, sh you shot this on the same floor of yeah. the same building for all sets and I'd believe it because yeah. it's it's a very resourceful like okay we have pretty much the same looking office spaces yeah. going back and forth like a, a couple cubicles will change here and there sure and like one main office and boardroom that's kind of it yeah it's it's very simple with what it is um, but but getting to the premise real quick I guess uh, sure yeah. it's there's this there's this virus that exists it's called the ID7 virus but they've dubbed it the red eye virus. Uh, basically, if you get infected with this, it lasts for a certain amount of time. It makes you kind of go to all of your crazy desires. All your inhibitions are gone. Your moral integrity is gone. And you act out on your impulses. And I, I love the concept of this because it actually reminds me of the film. I, it's a Meg Tilly film um, and Tim Matheson from 1981 called Impulse. Mm -hmm. And it all deals with um, people in this town going crazy, and they're trying to figure out why. And it deals with this same type of infection or type of disease, people acting out on their impulses. Right. So I really like that this kind of takes that film and expands upon it in a modern day. And I think that's that's a big tie to me as far as where this lies in the horror aspect. I, I find it interesting because uh, as, uh, as our main character, played by Stephen Yoon, narrates, mm -hmm. uh, Derek is basically kind of – setting up this premise and like all of these characters 
and archetypes and players in this yeah. office space kind of as a mythos. And it's in a it's weird actually way. really fun. I like a, I like it as far as having the names for them, the siren, the, the bull. nine, the like yeah. all of these other like the infor- like all these the enforcers Reaper. like and for 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 a for a layman like that can like for somebody that's not even that well at paying attention good at paying attention to movies yeah that's an easy way of being like oh okay well she's just the yeah. HR lady well no just give her a cool name exactly and like all right well it's the nine now and it works but, kind of a corporate America thing too because the people have nicknames you know like they, sure and most of them are way fouler than what they're giving people in this because they're calling them you know the Reaper the Siren this that and the other and I'm like all right I like that I like where they're going with it. Um, but then at the same time, it's like you get these cool clips, you get these cool cutaways when you see the people in their chairs when he's talking about how he goes up the ladder and everyone kind of turns around. They get their little mini introduction. Sure. I think there's some really interesting editing and cinematography tricks in here. I know that we talked a little earlier and you said it seemed like they were going to the Edgar Wright well of of cinematography and editing. Right. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. Right. I, I specifically recall quite a few uh like whoosh cuts where like you would hear like this buildup of sound and then a hard cut to yeah. like silence and mm-hmm. then it's the cut. Yeah. Uh and like that's something like that's a classic staple of Edgar Wright that I just could not shake which is mm-hmm. Like yeah. that. Well, it's almost an Aronofsky cut too. Yeah, because exactly. Aronofsky did a lot of that with Requiem for a Dream, and I almost think that after that movie came out, a lot of filmmakers took Aronofsky's cin- cinematic style and basically utilized it for more of a co- comedic purposes. Sure. With very fast-paced cuts, but then if we really want to delve back, it's very much a Raimi cut. Mm, more I mean, than anything, yes, because Raimi's y- were all the jump. It's very that. If we, that if we want to keep dialing it back to like right, the different types, right. of, but I, but as far as the punchiness and yeah, the yeah. like energy of it, it's, like it very much reminded <clears throat> me of an Edgar Wright. Type Absolutely, cut. especially with how much Edgar Wright's doing lately and, and everything. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically, uh, people get infected. We find out Derek, you know, started his job. He hated it, but then moved up the corporate ladder to a certain point. And you kind of see him in the beginning. You think he has his shit together. The second he gets in his office, you realize how miserable he really is as a person. Right. Yeah. And how he's really just trying to keep his head above water. Yeah, and it's not exactly the type of like workplace <clears throat> environment where like he's just swamped by work and he's just doing it to survive because it's all he can mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Kind of a thing, and it's it's a very typical. Uh, type of beginning of a story like oh, yeah. like we've seen before <laughs> and uh to his credit Stephen you like fairly good actor at at like portraying like that work stress I uh, I really like him in this and I think he if it weren't if Stephen Yoon and Samara Weaving were not in this film I do not think it would be a memorable movie I would agree um it, it's uh, Samara Yoon I think or uh, Samara Weaving excuse me uh like she, she, she kind of puts in a far more uh, of a punchier personality-driven performance than I think Yoon does, only because where like her character with the influence of the virus, yeah, which I think as far as logic is concerned is a is a bit off kilter for my taste because sure. if this virus is supposed to make everybody kind of go crazy with their impulses, mm-hmm. why are like only a certain amount of key players and characters like relatively controlled? Yes, yeah, like because every because people are like some people are like yeah. borderline feral, yeah, and others are just like, all right, I got to do what I got to do, and that's basically what he is, and these two are, where right, we're like, right. all right, we got to eat revenge, <laughs> like, uh, okay, it, and there there is definitely some logic leaps, sure, and I, I think with this type of thing with a virus that we you know we know a little bit about, but we don't know fully about because even sure. in the beginning they say someone murdered someone and was the first time it ever happened when the virus had gone yeah. out and it had been around for a while, so I guess stuff had. 
people had acted out on impulses, but it never went to that extreme until that moment. With a movie called Mayhem that has this type of thing behind it, you would expect it to be way more insane than it is at times. Right. But I don't think you could make a movie that gets much crazier than this does at certain moments. Exactly. And actually have it cohesive and work as a film. You would watch it and just go, all right, I just saw people murder each other for 90 minutes and that's it. Like, what, right. what else well, do we do? Well, as you, you say, that there's beauty in the simplicity of the premise. And I do agree because, mm-hmm. like, this is kind of like the, like, uh, what you mentioned before, the uh, the Bell End experiment or something? What did you... uh, Belko experiment. The Belko experiment. Jim, the, which was... Yeah, the one James Gunn wrote, and it had actually Sean Gunn was in it. Right, yes. And, um, um, it, like, a mix of that, The Raid, and uh, a bit of, like, I guess you could say Die Hard in a weird way. But mm-hmm. um, it's the simplicity and effectiveness of moving from place to place where I found that, like, oh, you're, you're, you just, this is a video game. Yes. Like, this is a video game now. We literally have to get the key card from the first boss yeah. to get the key card from the second boss yeah. to get to the final boss. Like, this, this th- is a video game. Th- th- I will say this is probably, if you were to look at it this way, it is pro- it's one of the best video game movies I've ever seen. I mean, cause, well, because you literally, it says we need to get the key cards. It, <laughs> like, we need that's to get the key <laughs> And then there's mini bosses. The way you're introduced to sure. them is almost like bosses, mini bosses. And they have their own sort of character traits and like and, little and, quirks. Like right. he's death and she's the siren. And like, who's, and who's the worst one out of all of it? Who's like the easiest person to defeat? The main boss, which a lot of times in games, especially modern games, the final boss sometimes is the easiest person to beat. It's those sub-bosses that you have right before the final boss yeah. that end up being the hardest. And I think that's actually what happens in this. It's Yeah, and it's kind of alarming at at the comparisons that I can draw just to be like, oh, wow, like yeah. this, this is, can be straight up a video game yeah. in any sort of setting where you're just like, all right, like just – it's it's simple and you go. This is basically a like I almost consider this a subdued version of Crank. Uh, you, yeah, you could, uh, obviously because yeah. Crank is basically if if they were like GTA the movie, Crank Crank Two. It's sure. Grand Theft Auto the movie on like way on crack. But th- this uh, has this has like sort of key uh, tried and true elements of a like adventure-y type of yeah. not so much horror but like again like a Die Hard where you're like okay. Guy, me- guy meets girl. Like, got to get to the top. Clash, of the clash heads. Yeah. Have a common goal. Right. Struggle with them. Yeah. R- romantic connection. Overcome it. Oh, he's painting. Great. Uh, Which you kind. Of, the, uh, my biggest. <coughs> sorry. My my biggest problem with this film. They give away. Way too often. They give away that he's painting. Yeah. And when you see what he's painting, you're like, dude, that means you. You've survived. You've survived. And you, we like, know you're showing survived. him painting. Like it's especially a, those guys who are trying to attack him. It's at that moment, those people who come in where the guy has, like, the weird thing, his bandana that he's done from right. his shirt and his glasses, and he's bleeding everywhere. I'm like, you look goofy as fuck, but all right, man. And I guess it was his, not secretary, but um, assistant. It was his right, assistant yeah, yeah, yeah. and all these other assistants and some other people, like, going to attack him. And he does that painting. I'm like, well, obviously you made it through. Yeah. And it, it was more so like, okay, this is a cool, like, again, adding to the mythos and stylized mm-hmm. look of it. But yeah. you, like, outright spoil that he, he survives, which, like, we could probably tell that he will. But yeah. uh, but also, like, don't show, like, his, like, his denouement, like, already. Like, have the painting there. Like, right. Like, do a weird, like, sort of scene fade in. To and like reflect the and painting see, and yeah, like seeing him paint it is the is the thing that got yeah. me. If Title card like yeah. death or whatever. If we, if we didn't see him paint it, she could have been the one to paint it. Sure, Sarah weaving skirt. Really, we don't know. So it kind of leaves this. Oh, is he going to make it? Is he not going to make it? What's mm-hmm. going to happen? But at the end of the day, 
this is it's it's just I feel like this was just meant to be a fun movie. It is, and for the for the record, it is pretty much. Yeah. I I think that some jokes are pretty punchy. Like, do you wear Birkenstocks with socks? I bet you do. Yeah, that's, oh, her, that's a fun she had little... some of the best lines. Oh, in the she movie. had the, she had the best punchiest lines ever. Yeah. Like because for a lot of for a lot of the time, uh, our main character is is pretty much the straight man. Yeah. for almost all of it, and as unassuming as Stephen Yeun like phys- his physicality can be, mm-hmm. uh, he's kind of got to sell that he can be a badass in a weird way. Uh, or at least be angry. I I like when he loses his shit. Like this. Sure. My favorite moment. Uh, one of my favorite moments in this movie was when he first gets punched and the rage kicks in, and he starts like his monologue gets more amped up, and then he yells in his uh in his um not monologue but uh voiceover. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. just gets real. Just he just he yells loses it he in the, the voiceover rage. because I, like he's. Yeah. I love that moment because there's a lot of movies that wouldn't do that. No. That wouldn't go for the point of let's really strengthen this um, with how it is. And I just like the um, – so it all takes place. The thing about this is it's a giant law firm, right? And everyone is very cutthroat and very – it's all about – basically they frame him in the beginning to get him fired. And as he's about to leave and he's already tried to argue his case that he's getting completely screwed over and they want him to sign stuff where he could get sued and lose everything yeah. that – you know, they the quarantine happens right as they're about to pull them out, and they're like, "Oh, by the way, here's a countdown. You have eight hours." Also, video game thing. You got a timer. You got to get done in eight <laughs> hours. You know, so you're limited on your scope. Of course, and it really yeah. ups the stakes. So he, his, uh, gets you know taken downstairs, and the shit kicked out of him when he was trying to go talk to the the higher ups and sure. the nine, so he can get his job back. And he ends up seeing Samara Weaving, who he's already rejected for a claim. She's come in to try and get her exactly. house from being foreclosed on. Um, so, yeah, it was it was absolutely insane just, like, seeing how this was uh, going throughout. So um, just, like, how he ended up down there and how they're just, like, kicking the shit out of him. And they're going to have someone come down there and, and, like, keep her locked up. And I'm like, dude, that's super messed up. Like, this corporate structure is so cutthroat. Um, so to see it get to the point where that guy comes down and tried to kill him, basically, and ends up killing his friend, yeah, hitting him into the nail, that was brutal, man. Well, when you say most... corporate enforcer, <clears throat> they literally mean corporate enforcer. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the... which, is, which, again, with the, uh, with the advent of the virus mm-hmm. makes it even more kind of terrifying where you think, oh, they just had, like, this mafioso enforcer. When they weren't enraged, <laughs> like yeah. when they weren't going crazy, like they just kind of they had a guy to get his hands dirty for when people didn't want to sign something. And like that's that's a cool thing to explore outside of that. And then when uh, it, it's again, the the idea of the of the virus, like making people lose inhibitions when mm-hmm. you kind of it already felt a little twisted and topsy turvy to begin with. Oh, yeah. And you didn't like. There needed to be a moment where, like, there's a snap, everybody's infected, or like yeah. everybody's crazy type of moment. Where instead we have that for one or two people for sure. Oh yeah. As opposed to like, well, like this boss guy, like he talks like his stylized dialogue and like like the way he talks and the way they all speak in like art metaphors and stuff like that. I'm sure, like, all yeah. right, this is like, th- like I can see that being in this kind of weird, twisted corporate world already but then you add mayhem to it yeah it's well and and you also add the whole neville reed case sure so the idea behind the neville reed case was he murdered 
his boss in a rage stabbed him in the pen multiple times in the neck multiple times with a pen or something and everyone witnessed it tons of people witnessed it but yeah. because of the virus he got away with it yeah he was basically he immunity because like yeah you, you can't be held liable or responsible for and it was the first case of that ever happening it actually was the first known case of murder driven by the id7 virus so basically they said he wasn't deemed liable because of the influence of the virus now because of this this actually becomes the main proponent of the film where the boss says well this old neville reed thing happened so we're gonna end up yeah, trying to go after clear. you slate's he's clean like, he's like what are you gonna do come up here and kill me and pull a whole neville reed on me he's like we're gonna do that to you instead and then it becomes the catalyst sure. for this whole movie happening which and for uh for the most part like he he actually like kind of explains to like all right who's to blame now like is it the virus or is it the fact that he, this guy got cleared and now we can just do it yeah and claim that we're like well right. we're clear aren't we <clears throat> there's no way to because you're under the virus's control so everything you're saying I mean is null and void so that was that actually makes this really interesting because it makes it more of a of a loophole than already existed you know mm -hmm. um so you're like, oh, he's going to get revenge because they have this virus and it makes people angry. Great. Well, he's going to face consequences. No, he is not. No. And that is what elevates. I feel like it elevates this movie with the explanation because it's an, it's not even 90 minutes. It's a really short film. It's a very, very tight movie. But it's very, And that's what I like about it. It's very fast-paced. You pack a lot into it. You get a lot of different characters in it that I think are – decently defined i won't say they're the you know the most well-defined characters they ever. have their purpose they uh, have their like, purpose but it, it's the same way when you're in this type of law firm type stuff so like towers and Smythe consulting is basically like they are the sharks sure yeah you know of of the of the uh of the of a corporate world of the corporate and that's world, and that's yeah. and that's the kind of thing where like i i didn't really feel like that was established until like maybe halfway through the movie yeah. where everybody's uninhibited and can just act the way that they do, like Wolf of Wall Street style. Like, we, like in Wolf of Wall Street, they like Scorsese put in like these stylized like, like bankers and sure. stockbrokers just like roaring and like shouting while doing cocaine and oh, stuff. Yeah. Like, and it looked absurd, but Dude, like, boss it's, in this. It, but it's like an embodiment of that mentality that you have for business and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. Where, it, like, every time that I saw them kind of going crazy. I'm like, oh, so these are the types of people. Where, like, I thought it was just, like, some sort of, like, low-grade, like, litigation people. Like, no, it's a big deal. Well, even when they talk about them in, in the beginning, because he, he goes to his friend, uh, Stevie goes to his friend and says, hey, I'm in this situation. What do I do? And his friend says, all right, well, before you go up to corporate, he's like, oh, you already did that. Yeah. Ooh, okay, we got to figure this out. Then, All right, well, they, yeah. well, and he also mentioned who it was because he said it was the siren. Right. And he said, oh, we got a problem. All right, well, we, we definitely need to really think this out. Um, so you could, in the beginning, there's a little more of that cutthroatness that you see there, especially when she screwed up this multi-million dollar case and is now putting the blame on him to make him the patsy. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just like how it happened so quickly. And then when you see the Reaper come in right, with, with his cane. With <laughs> Dude. Which which is is absurdly looked like a scythe. It really does, uh, but it worked. I loved his character because it was very. You think he's? I'm just. I'm on the side. I'm on the right side. You know, which is why I'm on this side of the desk, and you're the one getting fired. Right. You know? And it, to it, and to be fair, I feel like they could have gone even a little more kooky with the. Uh, character designs of this oh absolutely well for one of two reasons one it's this crazy heightened corporate stylized world but also this is clearly from his perspective yeah 
and I'd like to have like sort of things sort of exaggerated right. and even like even as as wacky as the scythe could have been like mm-hmm. I wanted it to be very over the top. Oh, I yeah. wanted it to be like Repo Man, <laughs> like absurd levels. Right, right, right. Uh, because again, like it's the influence of the virus. Like mm-hmm. I want them to like have a sort of like scarecrow vision. Oh, I almost of, wanted it like, to be almost like a Beetlejuice esque, yeah. almost like a Burton esque world. Because when you have some of these characters in there, it would be nice to see them in that extreme stylized manner. I yeah. think, and especially in that in that corporate environment, just seeing how over-the-top and garish some of these people may be when they're working in their office or in this type of situation. Absolutely. Um, but there's some great moments. I actually, one of my favorites was when uh, uh, Kara, the siren, basically is taking the uh, the key card and gives it to her assistant to go hide it when she was told to literally throw it away and dispose it. Right. And then when he finally comes in to make a deal, um, uh, Derek ends up making the, the trying to make the deal, and she says okay, and gets her assistant to bring in the key card, and, and she's just ca- like a little charred, piece charred of plastic. So, in that in that exchange, like until like they started to get into an argument, I thought that was part of a plan that they were just like coyly like oh being well, like oh why would you do that? Why would right. you burn the uh, like? All right, what what part of your plan was part of that? And then but she's like, oh that's, no, that's when I like that. I really loved that moment. And she said, well, the higher ups didn't, th- or the nine didn't think you were going to follow through with it. And so they gave me a giant pay bump and all this type of stuff to Which, do it. Which, again, like, I keep thinking, I'm like, this will all mean nothing by it the all, end of this quarantine. Right, like, what is the right. point? Because, well, like, so again, try- nothing needs to make sense because everybody's crazy. Well, then, by the time he gets up, the, the thing where it just really gets to that weird moment for me mm-hmm. was he finally gets to the top floor. Sure. Um, and that's the weird, when he sees the boss and he's celebrating with all the nine around him right. and these two women, and there's that moment of sign this contract, sign this contract. It's like, dude, you literally tried to kill this guy for the entire movie and ruin his entire life, and now you're going to try and make him partner? Bullshit. Well, I think, again, that's kind of like the, like, it's the terms of his surrender, which was giving him his job because they he knew that he would probably lose. Yeah. So, like, he just, he appeal he he plays the brigand. I felt like, like those that. two women were going to kill him, or try to kill him anyway. Sure. Because, because they give he, the nod, she breaks the glass and tries to stab him and stabs the other one. That's kind of what I wanted to see, because we have all of these opportunities for weird characters where, like, all right, we put a hit out on him. Right. Like, but there let's was, have... Nothing happened with the hit. Nothing happened with that. There was that one moment of the assistants coming out for the 450, because it was supposed to be a quarter of a million, and I think she was like... No, it's got to be 400 no, well, Actually, that was a funny thing. She's like... Two hundred and fifty thousand for murder? It has to be four fifty, and you're like, yeah. "This is great." This yeah, is sure. So, such a funny moment. But Not again, nothing murder, comes. Yeah. Nothing comes of that. But you're like, no. "Oh, great!" So the whole building's going to be after him, and then it's going to be the raid. Like, that's, that's actually exactly what I, what it was. that's kind of what I wanted to happen in yeah. this, and and it didn't. And I felt like that was a real. That to me is a giant plot hole. The movie. To me, yeah. Where, Why even have that line in there of paying these people that much? Because guess what? The assistant. Could have just killed him right sure, there. Sure, but like he sends that he sends out the bounty just to the people in accounting. So I wanted just like the accounting office just to come out with like some sort of like stylized gang intro yeah. with a painting of their own, and he get they get their own like sort of intro sequence or whatever. Unless some of those assistants it's like oh that's part. big key. I mean like, some of gotta... those some of those assistants they actually might have been the accounting team for all we know. I, I, true, but like again we like I really wanted that to have like okay so this is like a mini boss that he's throwing <laughs> right. at him for some right. reason. Uh, but again, like it's, 
it's the it's the stylized stuff like that where mm-hmm. it, you just touch on it for a little bit yeah. that I really wanted mm-hmm. to explore and get go deeper on. Right, but then you know, even though that, you know it's not the best that it could be for that moment, no. having Derek and Melanie end up going around just messing people up, especially the circular mm. saw, because she gets the nail gun and starts going after. Uh, the Reaper and shooting yeah. at him and then he attacks the hell out of her smashes her hand and all this stuff and then tries to act like no you don't want to hurt me I'm innocent and she's holding the nail gun I'm just thinking shoot him in the head now just shoot him in the head right and there's I think as far what makes this actually a horror comedy is these like intense moments of violence which I feel like I was only a little bit disappointed by with most of them because there were only a few moments where I'm just like oh hell yeah like yeah, get yeah, yours yeah. mainly with the Reaper uh, and killing him with the, with the, the uh, as you mentioned was, with the saw, the saw blade. was great like, like that was that was good yeah. but I think other than that it's just like a couple of just like all right big punch and then like shoot him with a staple gun which she's a crack shot with that thing or the by nail the way. gun yeah or the nail gun and I think a couple of other se- se- sequences where I was just like all right this is just like a little like bit of a punch up fight scene yeah. and then we're moving on where like the main fight with the siren and her assistant. Like, they're hiding that all out of frame. That's yep. just a fight that happens out of frame. And then you see, like, the aftermath of, like, just her face being, like, dragged not, not in mu- Not much of an aftermath. That was, that to me, kind of, that was a little frustrating because you could hear what was going on, but you didn't really see the visceralness. And I was hoping you would by the end of it. Yeah. Especially for a film called Mayhem. Right. Or at least just, like, a final blow. Because, like, great. Like, let's <sighs> see her, like, face get put on that treadmill. Because we, that's how we see her. That's how we meet her. Yeah. yeah. Um... But again, like that's time, that's planning, that's budget. I understand. Right, right. Um, I mean, they did just, a lot for two and a half million. They did. Yeah. They very much did. Um, but I, I just, I feel like there could be a little bit more done with mm-hmm. a, a couple of the executions with the, with the fights. But uh, at least for for our finale and to like kind of put a bow on the rest yeah. of this, uh, I think it ends very quaintly. It, it's like it's a nice little ending, but again, it, it's it, it's. The logic crumbles uh, when you realize that, like, if, if they had a le- if like if they had a legal case to like have somebody get away with murder, right? They should probably be like, okay, all legal and like uh, like possible like business related decisions that happened inside of this building need to be litigated after the fact yeah. because everybody was not un- in their right minds. Yeah, where like you appoint somebody CEO, like he signs mm-hmm. away something and. Completely changes the corporate structure of something. Yeah, actually, and I, then just quits. So, like, so right there, there is a weird moment. So when 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 the main boss loses the Vandercorp sure. thing, there's no way he would offer his terms of surrender to that guy. No, he would straight up just have him not. murdered. So we know that they were going to probably murder him no matter what, even if he signed the thing, um, because there was probably a thing in there saying we you're we're allowed to murder you. You know, like in, yeah. in, the, in the fine print. Um, so there's that stuff, but then yeah, he he basically pleads his case to the nine. They say after he throws the boss off of the <laughs> top floor, which we don't even see him finally splat until the final moment of the film, where we no. see him hit the ground and he splatters out. So they really keep that as a drawn out, throw him off, let him fall for, I guess, ever while. Which again, are... I was expecting <clears throat> something rather spectacular when they're when they're building it up to and, it, and, and it, just, it, it was just a little bit of a cut, just a, like a. Cut. Yeah, it was. It was like okay, it's there. I kind of wish they did the plexiglass floor and watch him hit and just yeah. explode out. That's what I was hoping for because you're just like looking down at him, just go. And I, that would have been a really fantastic yeah. moment to see. Um, but yeah, it just kind of he he becomes, I guess, in charge. He runs the company, and then signs this thing so uh, Melanie can have her house. Yeah. And then says, "I quit." 
closes it and leaves with her and is painting with her. And a I very guess nice gesture. Is very happy. And then you finally see the boss splatter into the ground. Mayhem, <laughs> the end. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a lot of fun. I, I think it's one of those film, films that it's it's not going to... It's not going to win any Oscars, but it's definitely something that I think will get more of a cult following over time no. as just being a very fast-paced thrill ride with not a lot of extra filler. It's just lean, mean, and kind of to the point. Yes, exactly. And uh, credit to Joe Lynch for like getting to be able to finally make the movie that he wants to make now because, God, boy, did this guy have some bad luck, uh, at least with Knights of Bad Astem. Like, Because he's made a couple of other good he's projects. He's made some but great like, I liked Everly a lot, too. And Everly was another one where it takes place just in an apartment building. He's very good with these contained films that are yeah. put on a micro budget or very low budget. Contained um, scenes and settings as well. Yeah, uh, he's he's really good at doing that stuff. And I, I, I really enjoy that. I want to see more from him. You know, I, I always see... He and Adam Green work on a lot of stuff together, and I see Adam Green put out a lot more stuff actually than he is putting out. Joe Lynch is putting out. And I just want—I think—I think Joe Lynch is extremely underrated, and I think he needs to be doing more films. I know that he might not want to do mainstream Hollywood stuff because you know what they do. A lot Obviously, of the time. I mean that would put a bad down. taste in anybody's mouth. Um, but this wasn't even mainstream Hollywood. This was just some—it was the indie vest guy who was in charge of it who sure. just ran everything to the ground very quickly, um, and that's its own deal set but, of can yeah, of worms but there. I really would just love to see him get something major soon I really want to see him do a Hollywood feature and and kind of get kind of get his day in the sun because he deserves it sure absolutely and I feel um, his cameo was fantastic as the IT guy oh yes no it absolutely so good. was uh I I really I appreciate uh I appreciate his style I appreciate his um the the influences that he draws from yeah. and his uh, kinetic energy that he puts into a very small tight little package. Oh yeah, uh, I think that alone is probably enough to make me want to recommend it yeah. because uh, like it's got spunk this yeah. movie and uh, as much heart as it has. Even if you don't particularly like a few things about it, like there there's still a, a lot of fun stuff in here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good to be had. Oh, there's there, it's. I had a lot of fun with it. I think it's a blast of a movie to watch. It's definitely something you want to watch with friends. So if you're going to have like a viewing party for a movie and you're not sure what to watch, put on Mayhem. Absolutely. Always going to be a good time, you know, and it's it's quick and it's to the point. Um, but yeah, I think that'll that'll do it for us this week, I guess. Yes. Um, what have we what have we got next week, Rob? So you're, you're, it's dealer's choice here. You're back in town. I am back in town. Uh, so I kind of want to take a look at your next. Oh boy. Yeah. Which I have seen this one. You have. I have. And this will be a good one to revisit. Yeah. Because I've been, only seen it once. I've seen it once as well, and I saw it when it came out in 2011. Right. So, yeah, this is going to be a doozy. I recall very much liking this, and I think we're going to end up liking it again. So. Oh, yeah. I loved it when I first saw it. It'll be a fun movie to revisit, especially after all this time. Oh, yeah. All right. So we're definitely going to be checking that out. Thank you guys so much again for listening to the show, giving your, us your reviews on iTunes. I've been looking and listening to what you guys have been saying. We appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for the support, for all the listens and downloads. Please tell your friends, tell everybody that you know that this is a pretty nice show and that you'd like to spread the word. Uh, you can get us out on Twitter, Facebook, pretty much any social media that you care to find. Anywhere you find podcasts, we're on it. Uh, and if you can, if you want to get in touch with us personally, you can go to ohthehorrorcast at gmail.com as well as at Rob. Oh, my God. What is your ad again? It's just your name, right? Uh, at RW Holmes A3. That's on Twitter. And yes. then um, Holmes Invasion on Instagram. There we go. 
All right, and I am off social media, but that's fine. You can always find us. I'm but on. Yeah. I'm on it enough to be on a podcast. Yeah, right? yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you exist on it. I do. I'm on. Yeah. I'm on the net. All right. Oh, I just called it the net. I'm 80 years old. <laughs> All right. Have a good one, guys. Until next time, I've been Steve Allman. And I'm Rob Holmes. See you next time. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. Now, it is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here.